Good morning. My name is Deacon Norman Freeman, and I will be presenting today's lesson titled, God Foretells Redemption, from Isaiah 49th chapter, verse 1 through 11. Let us first go to God in prayer. Great Jehovah Yahweh, we humbly submit ourselves before you this day, thanking you for another opportunity to study your word. We pray that your word will go forward in a manner that will be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray that you will use this lesson in a way that someone will be drawn to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. We praise you and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The servant's songs are found in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9, Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 13, Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 11, and Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 53, um, 53, through, uh, verse 12. So these four uh, groups of verses make up the basis of Isaiah, which are called the servant songs. One song explicitly identifies the servant as Israel. And you can see this in Isaiah 49th chapter verse 3. Isaiah initially identifies God's servant as Israel, who serves as God's witness and as a light to the Gentiles. Yet Israel could not fulfill this mission. But the servant was also said to be God's perfect servant, which can only be Jesus Christ. Isaiah predicts that this servant of the Lord would deliver the world from the prison of sin. God's servant, the Messiah, faithfully completes all the work he is given to do. In Acts 3rd chapter, verse 13, Peter calls Jesus the servant of God. That verse says in part, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. Isaiah 42nd chapter, verse one through nine is the first of the four servant songs and introduces us to the servant of the Lord. Isaiah 49th chapter verses 1 through 13 is the second of the four servant songs and the focus of today's lesson and speaks of the Messiah's work in the world and his success. Today's lesson titled God Foretells Redemption from Isaiah 49th chapter is divided into two parts for ease of discussion. I will read the scripture in two parts from the NIV and discuss each part immediately after the reading. These two parts are part one, the servant's call and mission from Isaiah 49th chapter verse one through seven. Part two, the servant saves and restores from Isaiah 49th chapter verse eight through 11. The scripture for part one the servant's call and mission. Isaiah 49th chapter, verse one reads, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. 
in the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring back, to bring Jacob back to him, and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Now let's discuss part one, the servant's call and mission from Isaiah 49th chapter, verse one through seven. Isaiah calls the servant whom we now understand to be the Messiah by the name Israel. This nation originally carried God's salvation message. When the Jewish people rebelled, the Messiah picked up the baton and committed the, uh, to completing God's assignment. God called Jesus to draw back the Israelites to Jehovah. God raised him and gave him the might and power to carry out the task. The servant of the Lord will oversee the restoration of the land and the establishing of a peaceful kingdom. His calling started in the womb of his mother. Before the Holy Spirit placed Jesus' embryo in Mary's body, the angel said, His name is Jesus, the Savior of all humanity. Read this in, Luke's, in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. God's salvation is brought to all people. Christ Jesus is the light of the world and the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecies. The servant fulfilled the covenant God made with the Israelites and he is the actual covenant. Some of the Jewish people pushed Jesus aside, denying his claim as Messiah. Jesus respected those in positions of authority in the secular government and within the Jewish religion, but both plotted against him. The speaker now describes how God has used him based on his special calling. He is compared to a sharp sword and a polished arrow shaft. Images that likely mean he will be used as an agent of God's judgment. But he will accomplish this task not through actions, but through his mouth, through his words. He is describing here, he is described here as a prophet. Since the prophet served as God's spokesman, declaring God's judgment, the speaker also emphasizes that God hid him. God has protected him and kept him so that he will be available for God's use at the right time. 
During Jesus's ministry on earth, teaching about the kingdom of God was his highest priority. Through his words, he called sinners to repent and rebuked religious leaders and others with prideful and hard hearts. In verse three, we see God now speaks to this man he has chosen from birth. His first words summarize his identity and purpose. We may call this his commission. In general, those God refers to as servants are those he has claimed for himself and called for a special purpose in his plans. The nation of Israel is described as God's servant, but they are blind and deaf and have failed in their mission to the nations. So God now raises up an individual servant whose mission is about to be defined in verse five and six. God calls him Israel because he is now going to take on the role God has given the nation and he will succeed where they have failed. The nation is no longer worthy of the name God has given to it. So this one servant will now represent the nation and carry out its task. <clears throat> God's goal in using this servant is that he might be glorified. Keep in mind, none of this comes as a surprise to God. He allows these steps to occur so that mankind would see that they are unable to measure up to the requirements. We as believers have benefited from the work of the servant who has died for our sins that we might be forgiven. Our ultimate goal is similarly to bring glory to God. We do not do this as Jesus did by dying on the cross but we do spread this message of salvation through evangelism. The followers of Christ must place their ultimate confidence in God, knowing that he alone remains the judge of our work on earth. We must then seek to use our time and efforts to bring glory to Christ and advance his kingdom and trust that we will one day be rewarded despite the hardships involved now. <clears throat> God then reveals part one of his mission to bring the nation of Israel back to God. This does not refer to Israel's physical return to the land of Canaan, but their spiritual return to God himself. Even though Israel has continued to be rebellious, God will use this servant to finally restore Israel <clears throat> to fellowship with God, repairing the broken relationship Israelites might be redeemed, but only that portion of the nation that turns back to God, a remnant. But then God says that restoring Israel is not enough. This is only part one of his mission. Part two of his mission is to be a light to the Gentiles. From the time God first called Abraham and blessed him, he did so not simply so that Israel could enjoy being blessed, <coughs> but they might, that they might be channel of blessing to all peoples. In verse seven, we now see the response of the people to the servant. After the joyful tone of verse six, it is surprising to discover that this man who has brought salvation to all nations will be despised and hated. But God's message for his servant is that this is not the end of the story. 
Though rejected initially, kings and princes will eventually give him the respect and honor that he deserves. He will be acknowledged as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Scripture for part two, the servant saves and restores from Isaiah 49th chapter verses eight through 11. And verse eight reads, this is what the Lord says, in the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritance, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside the springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. <laughs> now let's discuss these verses eight through 11. In verse eight, God assures his servant that he will be with him to help in his greatest needs, which probably refers to the road to the cross. God again describes his purpose for the servant, but says it in a different way. I will give thee for a covenant of the people. His death for the sin of all of the people is the basis for the new covenant. Israel is redefined by God so that foreigners who worship the Lord are fully included in the new people of God. So the people could include all of the servants who follow Jesus, regardless of their ethnicity. In the ancient world, a just and good king would provide for his people, bring prosperity and free prisoners. God is surely concerned with unjust physical bondage as seen in Exodus. God frees captives. God freed the captives in Babylon, and he offers freedom to all humanity bound in sin. His greater concern is with spiritual bondage to sin and the powers of darkness, which is likely to focus here, which is likely the focus here. <laughs> In the ancient world, without cars and airplanes, natural features such as mountains, valleys, and bodies of water were significant obstacles for travel. So one of the common images of return to the promised land is that God will make the journey as easy as possible. He will flatten the mountains. He will lift up a broad highway above the valley so that the path is visible, straight and smooth. Nothing will get in the way of his grand gathering of peoples to God. It is likely that these images of the exodus from Egypt and the return from Babylon are being used to describe a greater, more important exodus a return to a right relationship with God through the forgiveness of sins brought about through the work of the servant. <laughs> this ends today's lesson. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for giving light to your ways and opening our minds that we may see the things that you have stored up for us. Help us to remember to be obedient to you in every way. Help us to recognize that while we are alive here on earth, 
that we must live in a manner that reflects your ways and your values. Give us the wisdom to know and understand what life in your presence will be like. Help us to understand that all we need to do is tell the story and the Holy Spirit does the rest. Bless this lesson and allow it to touch someone to bring them close to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen.